So I'm I'm out of a podcast, so I thought I could come here and audition for a co-host role. Hey, AC, you're in the wrong room. Wait a minute, get out of here. Oh, <laughs> Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Welcome to the lull between summit and build. Hopefully, you're not too crazy over there, buddy. <laughs> the lull. Give me a break. <laughs> if you saw the deadlines for these videos, you'd feel sorry for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I feel sorry for you just being in a, that large of an organization. I really enjoy doing this little small stuff. <laughs> oh, Wes will be so pleased. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fun. It's just a lot of coordinating and a very small time crunch time. But uh, I, I think I'm just so used to doing it now after like eight years of doing Bill that, yeah, I think other people get really intimidated when I go to them and go, hey, you've got till next Friday to send me your 20 minute video. And they're like, you've given me a week. I'm like, yep. Yep, you have a week. <laughs> Get on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, although we should probably say, Build has been announced, it will be digital, and it will be sometime in May, 24, 25, 26, yeah, in the U.S. time zone, yes. So, um, sign up for that, folks, at build.microsoft.com, ready to, ready to rock and roll. Jumping into links this week, uh, nice one that I was glad to see finally. Microsoft Graph API now supports content type sync from SharePoint, yay! A while back, the SharePoint platform changed from the old content type subscription service that would push it to everywhere to a new one where if you're in a site and you wanna use the content type hub, it'll pull the relative ones you know, on demand, so to speak, or when necessary, which is a much better model, doesn't, not as brittle, and now we can do a similar thing from our graph calls, where I basically say, hey, I'm in site X, and I want to add a content type to this list in this site, and it'll go figure it out for us. Love it, love it, love it. So thanks to the SharePoint team for getting that pushed out. Yeah, so it's on beta right now, it says. Yeah, it's also in our product suite. Let's go. Already? That's <laughs> awesome. Shipped it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see how it works, right? If I get... <laughs> I didn't delete the code to do it the SharePoint way. It's still commented out, but uh, <laughs> hoping that it, that it works well. So uh, you guys should get some telemetry on that, I hope. There we go. A couple of community events I want to uh, highlight. One is um, the folks, the... Waldeck and Vesa from the PNP world are having a thing called Microsoft Tech Days for the Microsoft 365 developer platform. This is on Thursday, May the 5th, which won't be long after we release this. Uh, a two-hour virtual event where you can learn about doing bots and bookings and Viva connections and all kinds of fun stuff with a handful of MVPs. They are mostly European-based, so I wouldn't be surprised if the actual timing is based in the European world as well. So, But nice to see this event coming out there. So uh, um, if you're interested in, in hearing more about this, uh, sign up on Look at it again, virtual, ready to rock and roll. Yeah, some good MVPs on that one as well, like Ring, Rick Van Vossett and Tommy Goals and Stefan Bisser, Paolo Pissari and Albert, Jean, Scott. I always get Albert's wrong. Sorry. But, you know, they've actually just come from being on the other side of it, hearing us all present in the MVP Summit and then all of them were very active in the session. So it's good to see them sharing the stage with uh, Vesser and Wardak on that event. It's awesome. 
Next, I want to highlight a couple of PowerShell improvements. One is PS Readline 2.2 is gone GA. If you're not doing PS Readline, please add it. If you're, if you're using PowerShell, wonderful things. Uh, the features of Note, the IntelliSense is just off the charts out of this world. It looks at your history. You can tell it to look at AI-based predictive IntelliSense if you want, based on like the Azure SDK, which is really huge, right? So perfect. Uh, great stuff to do, load that. The other one is one of my side projects I'm dying to get into called PowerShell Crescendo. I, I presume you haven't played much with this, have you? Since you don't seem to be a huge PowerShell guy. Sounds really cool. Whatever it is, I'm buying it. <laughs> so they're in in the Linux world and, and even some some Windows tools, you have oh, just command line tools that do things that are text-based, if you will, like NPM or Gulp, right? Everything, input and output is a bunch of text. Yeah. You could even argue that the M365 CLI that the community has written is like that, where it just out, dumps out a bunch of JSON. Well, Crescendo will let you write a description, a command that definition in JSON that says, here's the command that I want to run, and, and here's the inputs and the outputs, and if I want to parse the text output into an object, then I can wrap build this crescendo JSON file and it generates a PowerShell commandlet, which you say sounds like busy work, but what if you have a pipeline in the middle of that pipeline in PowerShell you want to do something with is the output of one of these texts? How do you do that, right? You have to parse that text anyways. So snap this in there, boom, off you go. You got a bunch of commandlets that are based on some text utility that you've been using or that your friends have been using and you want to get on board with, right? So oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've already wrapped a few of the the M365 CLI commands just to, to see how it works. Surprise, surprise, more about the application bits. <laughs> and so it's awesome for, I can, you know, I'm in a PowerShell pipeline and I can have it run the M365 CLI, which returns a bunch of JSON for me, but it'll just, you know, convert it back into what I want. And off I go, it's still PowerShell objects in a pipeline. It's perfect. Community event or note this week, we have a, a, a blog post from a longtime contributor, Laura. Coco Runnin. If you want to hear how Laura pronounces her name, find her episode from back because, you know, Paul didn't do it, right? But um, how to create your first Teams bot and deploy it to Azure. And I love this blog post because Laura has taken tools that have been around for a while and put them together start to finish. For example, this one, I can do Yo Teams to generate a team, right? Well, it'll it'll deploy stuff automatically to Azure, but what do you need in Azure for it to work? So you need a web app to do this. Mm -hmm. And you also need to create a bot registration. Well, the Teams Toolkit will do it for you automatically, but what if you're not, you don't want it to go automatically, you want to see what's happening. And she's got screenshots and explanations about what you should do, where to click in the portal. Um, by the way, it creates a key vault for you. Did you know it creates a key vault now when you create a bot registration? So go to the key vault and get your keys instead of copy pasting stuff, right? So it's all great stuff. She lists it all out in typical style that should help folks get started using the tool. And then once you've got the bot generated or the, the Teams app generated with Yo Teams, boom, off you go, uh, write your code, and then it wraps up with the, how to use the Azure extension to VS Code to deploy to your web app. So start to finish, get started, boom, off you go. Obviously, uh, you'll want to productionize it with the CI CD later, but at least get you started up and running to get focus on the code instead of uh, the procedure. So thanks, Laura, for posting that. Yeah, the detail on that is incredible. I, it's funny just looking at this this morning that it's similar steps to what I did when I was doing this for Build on stage a few years ago. But it's interesting to see how they've changed some of those things with the key vault and we'll see the the structure of how you publish it. The web app now is a bit different. Definitely jumped around the the places a bit with this how you build bots in the last 
eight years at Microsoft, that's for sure. Yes, and, and bots themselves have, have matured with Power Virtual Agents involved now and skills and single sign-on and teams keeps adding new things with uh, which are backed by a bot. And, and the adaptive cards that uh, Fabian talked about over here are backed by a bot as well. So lots of uses. So yeah, the, it's great. Tough to keep up. So folks like Laura keep us in the loop. It's all great. So on to the show this week. We, we're giving you a little snippet of a lengthy conversation we had with a longtime <laughs> pal of ours, Andrew. It was great to catch up. I hope you folks find uh, his insight helpful as, as we did. Uh, he seems to be, uh, he's decided to voice his opinion about how things are right or wrong, uh, you know, regardless of, of being in the, the marketing of, of Microsoft or not, right? I mean, it's uh, it's wonderful to hear. So I uh, appreciate AC for, for doing that. Uh, regardless of what happens, he's on his way and, and making everything better. So thanks, AC, for coming on. That was a good one. And uh, everyone have a good week. Welcome, buddy. Hey, this week on the show, the one, the only Andrew Connell, who's got lots of free time, we think, after having <laughs> retired his podcast, which, to be honest, talked about stock price and stuff none of us devs care about. So. <laughs> it's funny, man. We had to shut it down because, uh, I mean, we Microsoft got really ticked off about the last two episodes we had about, you know, what our take was on 365 and Azure. So LCA was like, you guys are done. Google's like, hey, we want to get you guys to do a show for us. And then we just had to shut it down. It's just Microsoft. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we cash out, man. when google that's... buys the podcast for like two million bucks man we, i mean I, i'm happy to shut it down just just to take it off air for two million that'd sure. be hilarious that was it that was it i do miss it i must admit like the pandemic and not traveling to see you guys and i've not seen much of cj even though he's kind of close hearing you in those shows is always like kind of felt like we were hanging out again like we used to but uh yeah, I, it was, I mean, testament to you guys because on Twitter, you know, there's been a lot of reaction from you guys shutting that down. So I think it really goes to show at the value of that podcast over the years. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. We had been playing with the idea of shutting it down for a little while. Um, I think that we were both, it was more of a job uh, for the last like nine months or so or 12 months. And uh, we talked about it. It was one of those things, right? You were like, you know, do you like me? Do you not like me kind of a thing? And you're afraid one of you is afraid to bring it up because you don't want to have the other one go, well, I don't know that you didn't like doing this. And I mean, now I feel like I'm dragging it on. And so I can remember what it was, but something, something hit both of us where we were talking about it at one point. And, um, I think it was just, you know, it was just time and we'd done it for eight years and it was like, ah, you know, I, it feels more like a job right now. And we, we looked at it in, I think it was in December or January made ourselves and, and seriously talked about shutting it down and realized that it, they were, the perfect time to do it would have been right at the middle of March because you know, we're sponsor we're sponsor supported and our sponsor contracts were mostly coming up in March. And so we're like, we could fulfill our obligations and then just say, mic drop, we're out. So we actually made the call about three months ahead of time, two months ahead of time, something like that, reached out to our, our sponsors and let them know. And um, yeah, we didn't give anybody a heads up. We recorded the show and then like, didn't tell anybody like, Hey, you got to listen to the show on Tuesday. It's like, I was even in, I was on a road trip with my family and like, I was like, Oh my God, my phone's going to freaking light up when I'm driving through the state of Florida on a college road trip with my son. I mean, you could tell there was a little thought through it. Like it was the most official breakup I've ever seen on, on the internet. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, it was a little, it was a little sentimental, but man, I got like, no, neither one of us have any kind of like, um, 
we don't have any like regrets of stopping it. I think we both are, are a little nostalgic about it. Yeah, totally. But honest to God, I think that the reason why we were still really both doing it is that because of the distance and because of the work that both of us do doesn't really overlap so much with each other. Yeah. I, I can speak for him as well. I, at least I think I can, that we were both concerned about if we did this, then we were going to lose, we were going to, we were going to like lose touch a bit. Yeah. And um, it's not, we, we actually, we kept our, our scheduled weekly call and we ended up doing using it as like a mastermind to like bounce like work stuff off each other and like life stuff. And, challenge each other hold- teaching him to play yeah, golf exa- yeah well yeah he's got to get something going. so we just i mean we don't talk some we talk about tech but it's more like we talk more about business and everything and, and the idea is to just to make sure we don't lose touch so many times we do those damn shows man and we'd be like we would have an hour set aside and we wouldn't start recording for almost 45 minutes because we're just shooting the breeze it's like oh i guess we better do a show today <laughs> <laughs> that's important yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly um, but you know, so so the, the that part of your retirement, as we'll call it, from podcasting is is one one reason I reached out to, for you. And the second one being that I came across a blog post that you had done about updating SPF projects to use ESLint, and then it occurred to me, you know, you've done some kind of work and given us tips about developing. SharePoint framework things, but not necessarily here's how you do SPFX. Obviously, we know that you, you can do that with the voice timeless courses. So the first question I have is, how do you stumble across these tips and tricks? Are you keeping one ear to the ground of how to do create React app, or do you really just cut your fingers, or give us a little feedback as to how you've come across these things? Um, so one of the coolest things that I like about the role that I'm in, so like I'm not a consultant, um, I'm an educator. So, and I focus on building, I build info products. Um, I didn't know that that's what they were called for a long time, but I focus on info products. And so I like, I like to teach. I like to explain concepts to people. And what that means is that in order to make a living with that is you build courses, you teach courses, you, you have a lot of students and under, and you, and you also speak at conferences and at different events and stuff, not so much the last couple of years, but I mean, you still have a bunch of students. And so one of the cool things, one of the really cool opportunities that I have is that, you know, when, when consultant, when like Microsoft asks people feedback or any, any company asks somebody for feedback on what their customers are saying, they have a sample size of, you know, tens of customers, maybe a hundred customers on here's what our company is seeing from the people we interact with. But from my perspective, like I have a course on SharePoint framework. I've got thousands of students that have gone through the course and I have a community where they can all ask questions and it's some old customers, some new customers are asking. And a lot of the content that I write, a lot of the content I come up with are questions that they've asked. They seed me with these different ideas. And so like for ES Lint, the question kept coming up over and over, like, why do I have to keep using TS Lint? Like, why can't I use ES Lint? I'm like, I don't know, man. And all my stuff, I only use ES Lint. I wonder why you go start peeling back the onion. You're like, Holy crap, not even TypeScript like is still using TS Lint. They ditched it two years ago as well. It's like you go to the SharePoint framework guys, like, why are you guys still doing this? Right? Or, or why are you still using this? And so it's like, well, is there a way to go, is there a way to address this and and to fix it? And so it's kind of like my re- the research bone in my body just starts like peeling back the onion. Like, how does this work? Can I take this out and put my own thing in? Is it still supported? I only asked that later, <laughs> but is it still supported? And yes, it is. I can do that. I mean, it, like I ran into another one recently that I guess recently got addressed, which I don't know if Jeremy was in on this thread too, but where the SharePoint framework shipped with support for Microsoft Graph, 
uh, back like two years ago. And I was trying to do something with graph and I realized that I wasn't getting all these types that were showing up in the SDK or in the client that I was getting back that the SharePoint framework initializes and give it, gives back to me. It's like, why isn't this there? And all of a sudden, like I went off down this, down this rabbit hole and realized like, wait a minute, I'm still using the graph client. The SharePoint framework has given me this V1 that's over two years old. Mm -hmm. Graph is already on three, on two major versions newer than that. And so it just kind of like spouted off to the SharePoint framework team. Like, what the hell guys? Can we like get with the times? Can we get modern here? We're, I mean, we just, I know we, it's way overdue. We just dropped support for IE, IE 11 or IE Internet Explorer 8, whatever, one of the two. But it's like, seriously? Like, so it's an opportunity. It's a, it's a unique opportunity or, or a position in being an educator and like having courses that you teach is that you see, I get to speak to thousands of people. Um, I never go, and the, the depth is is usually trying to scratch my own itch or trying to figure out some challenging problem that somebody's got at the time. You know, so it reminds me, have you figured out how to replace Node SAS? Oh, Because huh. I just, okay. <laughs> so the Azure DevOps pipelines changed their default image to be Windows 2022. And guess what? All the Python Node SAS stuff doesn't work on that. So I ran into that problem last week. And unfortunately, I don't have the time that you do to peel back these layers. But uh, so if anyone listening knows how to solve that problem, I'm all ears. I can help you with that. I can actually help you with that right now, but you won't like the answer. <laughs> the answer is that whenever you, whenever you do anything in DevOps, you never use a Windows machine. You always use Linux. <laughs> I mean, 100% of my DevOps stuff is all Linux stuff because all the Bash stuff is going to work. You know, I mean, I guess there's people that like to do PowerShell, but I mean, when you do everything with Bash like, and it's all scripting stuff, that's where like everything is founded. So it just works that way. Uh, everything just works in a much more clean environment. I mean, it's not just because I'm a Mac person, but it's it just every DevOps thing that um, the, the the Linux VMs and the Linux runners are always so much faster than the Windows runners. So I don't know. There's your solution. Stop using Windows. <laughs> <laughs> not for your server, not for your client. I'm like I'm very laptop and everything. I'm not going that far. Well, good. You know, excellent point, right? It's supposed to be cross-platform and running in the browser, obviously. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and as you mentioned the, uh, the DevOps pipeline. So have you done a bunch of work with those? I think I saw a, a blog post in, in, as I went back through your old stuff. Um, you still have uh, any, any tips and tricks in the pipelines other than use Linux? <laughs> Not so much with the Azure pipelines because like I, I've switched all of my stuff over to GitHub. Um, I use GitHub Actions for all my stuff. And I like... I read the writing on the wall and it looks like the DevOps stuff, like Azure DevOps, it's not going away, but it's, I, you can tell that Microsoft's focus is on GitHub actions. I mean, not saying that's not like, you know, breaking an NDA or anything like that. It's just when you watch any of the sessions that are, that are delivered at a build conference or at Ignite conference, or you see the people who are on the GitHub team and the GitHub actions team, they're all former uh, Azure DevOps guys. Um, and so it's, you look at and just going like, I don't see people going the other direction. I only see people going in this direction. Now there's no way that Microsoft's just going to shut off Azure DevOps. I mean, I'm not trying to scare anybody like that, but I mean, I, I switched over to, I was trying to do stuff with Azure DevOps and I just, I, the thing that, that gravitated me towards GitHub actions was that things were not, were, were primarily not visual. They were primarily all like scripted, all YAML stuff. And I find that I prefer things that are scripted i prefer things that are uh driven via like yaml configurations or 
JSON configurations over doing the visualization of building out your tasks and stuff in a tool chain or in a, in a pipeline, just because the, the former is less prone to error than if you're doing the visual, if you're doing it visually and you forget like one checkbox. I mean, you could forget a Boolean value, but it's easier to copy paste when you've got, you know, YAML files and stuff to me. Yeah. That's repeatable and comparing and you can version controls a lot easier to eyeball things that totally, change, totally. right? And I know that, I mean, you can build it. Yeah. I, I get that you can do that, but like the, that the visual tools in Azure pipelines are going to generate YAML files. But I, I guess I, I started out using Azure pipelines. And then when I saw GitHub Actions, it, the more I played with it, it was just like, yeah, I, this is, I can tell that this is where the future is. So I just, I standardize all my stuff on it. The only thing I've really seen lately, I guess, it's not even really too lately, is that there's like a security vulnerability in the stuff that I did with the SharePoint framework with uh, there's a task of setting an environment variable. And there's a challenge that it's a security vulnerability where you can't set it using the way that they used to do it. Instead, you have to do it a, a new way. Um, but it's a standard like Linux based thing that, that you can that you end up doing to get around it. So. It's kind of interesting your observation around like looking where PMs go and how they move around Microsoft. Um, you know, it's always funny. Daryl in our team is like always forever. I don't know. He must have built webhooks in our org charts to know when people are moving around. But it is a good way of taking a bit of a read on like where the focus is and a build or ignite conference. What takes priority in a keynote versus what gets a a breakout to what gets an on demand session is also another good indication of like where the heat is and what people are trying to focus on. And I always find it interesting after people have seen those things, like to ask, you know, so what did you think? And see who reads into that and understands like that kind of dynamic that happens within such a large company like Microsoft. I'm not going to, I don't actually know what the answer is around the Azure DevOps and GitHub's, but I've observed that too. And you definitely see that focus. And it will be interesting to see over the next few years where that journey goes on with, with those two products for sure. I mean, it totally is. I mean, you 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 see the you see the stuff that they've you know talked about at Build and about how where the investments are. They want to build up issues to be much better than they currently are. They want to they want to build up stuff with insights to make things a lot better than they are. And you could tell it's like you without even without even talking to them and just watching what they say publicly, you can tell that internally, or at least it portrays this message of they're internally saying we need to give people who are using Azure uh, boards and DevOps for project planning, we need to give them a tool on why they want to switch over to GitHub and not keep using Azure boards. So it, it's, and I'm not, it, it's not a bad thing. I mean, I think that the GitHub guys are probably doing it the right way, which is we want to give you a reason to want to move, not we want to tell you that you have to move because we're shutting something down. Right. So it's like, you don't have to get an iPhone we're just not going to build the Windows Phone anymore, right? <laughs> Something like that, right? So, yeah. yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I, I, looking at tools like LinkedIn and looking at social media and seeing where people, it, not so much what are you doing, but where did you come from? Like, what's your background? Where, what, like, what is your experience here and why is it interesting? The guy that's, in, that's, that's so big into Microsoft identity over in the Azure AD side, but it's um, not like over the, everything, but he's, he's very senior up. And you're like, you're new to Microsoft. Where were you before that? Oh, you were at Google doing identity. Like, that's interesting. Okay, cool. Got it. So you've got perspective mm -hmm. on stuff. Same thing is true. Like watching what's going on with the metaverse, all the, the metaverse hype and stuff to see where people are coming from, where they're going. Yeah. I mean, looking at LinkedIn and being able to see those histories really is. Yeah, uh, de definitely makes an interesting journey for yeah. all of these people. Totally. So if we go back to SPFX, and I'm not sure how much you can share because obviously a lot of this 
is your own kind of research you do for your own company and how you target your audience with your training course. But what what do you see SBFX being used the most for out there, you know, with the people that you train either in person or online? Are there like typical areas that an enterprise dev is looking at when they're building things? Like, is it intranets only? I'd love to get your perspective on that as a developer that might be in this space, either sitting, listening from inside the walls of a customer or looking for a potential role in in this kind of space. Is there anything you could disclose there to help people? Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting too, because I think there's a bit of a tail wagging the dog as well. I think that Microsoft likes to push SharePoint framework for certain solutions, uh, for certain situations, when to me, it's kind of like the more you kind of stop and think about it, it's like, that doesn't really make sense. For me, like what I'm seeing SharePoint framework used the most for is SharePoint Online based stuff. I mean, there's still a lot of people who are still doing a lot of on-prem stuff. Most of the people who are doing on-prem are on 2016. They're not on 2019 or SE, but it's still a small percentage. And most of it is all intranet based stuff. What I'm not seeing as much of, I see a lot of talk about it, um, is around using SharePoint framework for things like teams based solutions or for, um, building aces for like Viva connections. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about it. And lately we've started to see a little bit more where there's more demand from it, but like my fingers on the heartbeat of what my students are talking about and what they're, what they're, the questions they're asking. Right. And the same question of what I'm seeing over in the, um, in the community based like forums and like the, the weekly calls that the SharePoint guys talk about. And when it's, when you take the community people who are not, I was going to say parrot, but that's probably not, it's a, that's, that it's kind of got a bad connotation to it, I think, but they're amplifying the message yeah, of PJ. Yeah. Like when, when you like, there's, there's always going to be that person, like an Apple person, a Google person, a Microsoft person that says, Oh, whatever, whatever Tesla the, person, Tesla person, whatever this person ends up saying, we're just going to sit there and just keep <laughs> going. We're going to just repeat it and stuff because, Oh my God, I'm, I'm a, I'm an Apple fanboy or I'm a Microsoft fanboy or whatever. And so they're just like going, yeah, Viva Connections, that's the, that's the greatest thing. And you kind of look around like, anybody doing it? Going, no, we're not really rolling it out yet. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> if the people you talk to say, they're not, this was months ago, they say they're not rolling it out, then it's like, well, are you building anything for them? Like going, I built a ton of samples. Like going, yeah, prototypes aren't mm-hmm. products or prototypes aren't deliverables. I'm just curious, like, what are people interested? Now it's, it's changing, um, but most of the stuff you see with the SharePoint framework, like, I'm seeing it still very heavy on on web parts, very heavy on extensions. I see a lot of talk about ACES or adaptive card extensions for Viva connections. I've yet to really see it so much in making a difference in it. Like cards on the table, my SharePoint framework course doesn't have anything about ACES in it. And I rarely get questions from new customers like, do you cover this? No one even asks about it. Interesting. Um, so and I and to me that kind of like that that says something. Yeah, it's a good indicator for the current state. Yeah, and so yeah. I, I'm being in the info product space. I'm also really big into like Google Trends and YouTube Trends and like SEO and all that stuff. And so I look and see what are people asking about. Not a word. What am I being told about is one thing that's interest that's important. But then I always go look at like what are people actually asking about? What are people like looking for? What are those big search queries and stuff? And if you don't see the questions being asked, then it's like going, I don't know if that's really as important as 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 some people think it is. So I don't know. Why do you think the trend of using SPFX for teams hasn't 
picked up as much as I guess what the team would have thought it would have done. Just interested in your opinion on that. Um, I think, well, I think it's, it's, I think there's two main factors to it. Uh, one of them is that there's enough of a differentiation in the different teams clients that stuff doesn't work the same way. The big one is off. Um, if you do anything that needs is, needs a token, um, it's not going to work in the mobile client. It's going to work on the desktop or the web client, um, specifically around the SharePoint framework. Um, and I know that they're still working on that, but that's been one of those things like, you know, winter is coming kind of things. Like we've been hearing about that. It's com- that it's getting fixed. I would chime in on that to yeah. say though, the audience for a SharePoint web part is intranet broad or wide and in the audience for a team app or a tab is a smaller group of people focused on some kind of task, a team. And I don't think that if the technology was seamless, I don't know that you'd see pickup as well because the web part that I wrote for my mm. homepage is not really relevant in a team or in a, or in a right. channel. So, and then, you know, so that, that's kind of, that's the feedback that, or that we've gotten for our product. Yeah, that's true. Know, stuff that goes, looks great in the homepage doesn't belong in a team. So that's just my two cents on that. That's a very good point. I mean, that's, it, it, it's not a, it, it, it doesn't make sense to sit there very rarely. I think does it make sense that you build something that's going to be a web part. It's going to be a single page app inside of a SharePoint site that all of a sudden you're like going, I want that in teams. And it's like, but I don't because it's not, I mean, a web page, which I know SharePoint is supposed to be about collaboration. It's not the kind of collaboration that you do like in a teams app or you do in like right. Slack or something like that. There's not like the rapid fire type collaboration. It's more like, you know, I'm collaborating on a word doc. Or I'm collaborating on a spreadsheet. I'm not doing that that real kind of working together stuff. That, that's so that's a big one. I've got I, I, you know I, I was you were saying something about aces. Well, well, I think part of that is people haven't deployed Viva as widely as they've deployed SharePoint. So I think once they get parity in that, we maybe see more uptake. So maybe premature on that. I, I totally agree with that. I mean that's the, and that's the thing that it feels and that's why I say it's like tail wagging the dog. To where I'm not I'm not saying I'm not going to try and you know, read into the the um, the future and saying that you know Viva Connections is a good or a bad product, or it's not going to get it's not going to get adopted. I I have zero perspective on that. Right, I work for a company of one, so Viva Connections has like no use for me. But I, I also <laughs> recognize that, so it's kind of like, exactly. what is everybody else doing? Right, I'm like it was the same kind of thing with like localization, like going English is the only thing that matters, right? Like I don't <laughs> does it does it do any of the other or in Spanish? I live in Florida, so like. This is the only thing that really matters, right? Like, no, we need other languages here. I'm like, do you? Like, let me see the demand for it. Like going, oh, really? We just need English. I'm like, that's what I thought. But I mean, I understand I've got like, you know, certain colored tinted glasses on. I'm with you. Localization means I remove the U and change the S to a Z and I'm done. It's true. <laughs> um, the, the other thing you asked about, like why, why I don't see as much of like an uptick on it uh, from like SharePoint framework using and working, using it within teams is that, to me, there's enough stuff that's in Teams that requires a server-side component, whether it's exchanging a single sign-on token to get as like an OBO token to be able to do something with Graph, right. whether it's creating a bot um, that's a real bot that's going to be a conversational bot, or it's going to be you're using a bot to facilitate the back and forth of like a messaging extension or chaining together adaptive cards and like task modules. All that stuff is a server-side thing in SharePoint Framework. Right. So you immediately mean you need Azure anyway. Yeah. And so, and to me, I look right. at like the SharePoint Framework and I'm like, going, what do you have to add for me? I mean, what do you, what value is, are you, are you giving me? Mm. And 
I understand that there's a desire to have like a single like Microsoft 365 like platform to be able to for devs to work on. But I mean, I, I don't know. I got, my hopes aren't high. My hopes aren't very high there until we have somebody. We have an equivalent of like a Scott Guffrey over in the 365 space until we have somebody that's like owns all development and all extensibility from the 365 space and can kind of say like, that's yeah. going to go over here. That's going to go over here. You two need to make sure that you talk. Join the yeah. talks. And today we just don't have yeah. that. And so it still feels like Teams does their thing. SharePoint Framework does their team. And then there's Power Apps that's doing all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of right now, everything still feels very fragmented. And it's the old Microsoft mop, uh, org chart of everyone got their guns out. <laughs> We're not quite guns, but I definitely agree with the notion of being kind of different engineering orgs owning different things definitely makes it a struggle. I mean, credit to the work that Yina and Rob Howard and, you know, a few others did on making the graph one API across that platform, essentially. Like that was a lot of work to try and convince everyone, get on board, this is the one API. But I do see there is a fragmentation still in that kind of the UX platform stack that we don't have as much in the API. And I think it it definitely takes time and there's work going on to... I guess centralize that that Rob Howard actually is working on that was in marketing and moved back to engineering. Um, but it's a journey for sure. And it, you know, if you the Azure aspect of it, if you look at what the Teams toolkit is been talking about for a while publicly, and there'll be more at build in coming weeks, like their play is with Azure as well. So, you know, you you're creating a Teams app, you get Azure resources spun up. So it's interesting to see the kind of the push and pull between the different PGs internally. And I think you kind of it, everything's an experiment, right? It's, it, it's continuing to see what, what sticks with developers and what doesn't. And Yeah, but it, I think from my point of view, it's really frustrating. When, some, when you spend as much time, when you spend enough time in the Azure space building stuff, and while every group has, while every resource has their own engineering team and everyone does things, sometimes they do things a little bit differently, everyone still, everyone still kind of marches to the same beat of the same drum. Like, they all provision stuff with ARM yeah. and bicep templates. They all have like different endpoints that I can interact with them with a CLI and with a, um, or with PowerShell or with uh, REST APIs to be able to manage stuff. But it still feels like there's like the, there's the Azure org where everyone does things the same way. And it's, it feels like one big org. And then there's the, uh, I forget the name of it, but like basically the 365 org. Yeah. E plus D. Yeah. E plus it, But it feels like that group is all like, there's five different silos over there and between the SharePoint team, between the Teams right. team, between the Power Platform guys, then there's the Dynamics guys. And it's kind of like everybody's kind of doing their own little thing in there. And those silos are still, they're still got really thick walls between each other. So it's like, I would just, I, I guess my my big ask or my big, my big request is always like, can you guys look at what the Azure guys are doing? Because they figured out a lot of this stuff yeah. and can we, you know, you work for the same company. <laughs> <laughs> but they were for different audiences, right? Betty in accounting. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And we've both we've all been in this journey for so long, right? So we've seen it happen. And even when Teams development started, a lot of the lessons learned by the SharePoint development PG wasn't taken on board. I think they kind of made some of the same initial mistakes that SharePoint did. So now being under one CVP of Jeff, um, there's definitely been progress there. And I think there is bigger progress happening at the Rajesh level, who's the EVP for experience and devices. So I think some of that will start to become clearer with the build announcements, which I can't talk about in this show yet because we are busy actually recording the content. But yeah, I I hear you on that for sure. 
<laughs> Stay tuned, folks. Stay tuned. <laughs> okay, so, since Jeremy can't talk about what's next, then AC, what what <laughs> technology interests you? Are you looking at now that you have all this you know spare time since you're not recording every week? Is there any other tech dev technologies that you're looking at or thinking of that you want to uh, interest you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's I think there's probably like three main areas that are like really interesting to me. It's like one. Um, it's the stuff that's like, I like this. I like the table stakes. I like the stuff that everyone that that's, it's confusing to some people, but it's all, there's always an opportunity there. Um, for me in the Microsoft space, that's Azure functions. Um, because that's the glue that holds so much different stuff together, not only within Microsoft, but also with a bunch of other things as well. When you see people that want to build, like, like I just take the, take the SharePoint um, spin on it people who have built off uh, SharePoint add-ins from the previous development model that we had um, when they want to migrate those from SharePoint add-ins or from um, pro- what we used to call provider hosted add-ins or even auto hosted add-ins where you had that you had something running somewhere else and then you needed to move it over into share. You want to be able to talk to SharePoint when you want to migrate that stuff to the SharePoint framework, which is the only way to really do customizations and extensibility in SharePoint today when you want to migrate that stuff over, Azure Functions is like the natural place to go through and to move a lot of that logic that's being called out. So, you know, that to me, that's one huge one. When you look at the stuff with Teams, I mean, so much of the stuff in Teams is can just be done with with Azure Functions, either being a um, like a bot or any of the, I mean, the, the web app stuff, being able to serve up web pages and stuff. You could do it with a function, but it's not, maybe not make the most sense. But still, I mean, it just, it just, to me, there's so many different opportunities with Azure Functions for people. It's a big area I w- that I'm I'm really interested in. That uh, React and GitHub Actions, um, specifically GitHub, the GitHub workflow stuff. Those are the three main like areas that are interesting to me. The React stuff and the GitHub stuff because the audience is so broad, um, and there's so much opportunity there. I think to be able to explain stuff that people have get confused about. And same thing with functions, just at a much much more narrow scope. Where do you send someone like, you know, I kind of mm-hmm. stopped at Angular. I didn't get as far as React. Um, I didn't get as far as TypeScript. Where do you send devs to get like the vanilla React getting started before you even try to tackle an SPFX course? Or do you kind of handhold someone through React as you're doing SPFX as an example? So the first good thing you just said is that you stopped at Angular because you should just stop at Angular, especially if you're doing SharePoint <laughs> framework stuff. And it's nothing, it's nothing against Angular. It's just that Angular is so opinionated. I'm talking 10 years ago now too. <laughs> <laughs> Angular is so opinionated and the SharePoint framework is so opinionated that it's like, dude, it's like a relationship. Two very opinionated things together. It's, it, yeah. it's probably not going to go well. That's why React and SharePoint framework make so much sense together is because React is very unopinionated. And you Mm -hmm. can do whatever you want with it. So pairing it with an opinionated framework makes a lot of sense. When someone is trying to learn React, like I, so I have a, I have a React chapter in my course and I do the basics of just like, Hey, one hour, it's going to be the fastest one hour, 101. I know nothing about React. I need to get up to speed. I make sure I cover that. Now today it still does stuff with React, uh, what are called higher order components or basically just classes. Um, when the modern way of doing React is to use hooks. And hooks are more okay. expressive. They don't seem to be as embraced by SharePoint framework developers because most SharePoint yeah. framework developers are traditionally SharePoint developers 
which are .NET developers, which are class-based. They're less functional programming. They're more like object-oriented stuff. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of different courses that I'm a big fan of for React. Um, some of them are on Udemy. There's one guy that is absolutely fantastic. His name is Kent C. Dodds. Oh, yeah, I follow him. Yeah. He's a he's really good. Um, he's got a, a product. A, oh, what was it? What's the I just forgot the name of the course. But he if you just go to Kent C. Dodds, I mean, it. It he's got it on there. I, I like the way he does a lot of his stuff in terms of creating a community. Um, he does everything like in a Discord server. Um, oh, wow. Like we're modeling like Voitanos is switching over. We're shutting down our Facebook investments and switching over to Discord in the next month. Wow, interesting. Like we shut down comments on the site, just switching everything over to Discord. Just creates, it's a better place to create a community huh. uh, for everybody to jump in. And, de- and web developers are really embracing Discord not just the gamers, but traditionally a gamers platform, but Discord is a great place for a community and just having one app to be able to get to tons of different things. Interesting. Yeah. I So Kent is the main one I would point people to when you really want to go deep in, with, with React. I point him there. And he, also you would really want to go deep with like JavaScript testing. I point him there. Because Paul, you, you still do .NET, right? That's the stack for... <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Uh, you, you, you haven't transitioned over either, the, right? The, well... Our backend is .NET. Obviously, our front end is is SPFX slash React or Teams from the Omen generator. Yeah. I, I, Hooks is the way to go for me. I find it much better. Uh, Yo, SharePoint gives me a class, but in render, I can say the, that top level component just loads uh, the 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 function components and hooks all the way. It's great. So, hmm. um, but yeah, so we have our backend is .NET, but we we're using the, the React and, and TypeScript on the front end. So. I like to think of the SharePoint framework and the way you just said it, uh, Paul. I like to think of a SharePoint framework as a as a, when it comes to React as a lot like chicken wings. <laughs> SharePoint framework is just the thing that delivers the um, that allows me to actually use uh, React. Just like a chicken wing is just the part that gets the breaded outside and the good sauce. And that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like the chicken. That's good. It makes me feel like I'm being a little bit healthy, but you know, <laughs> it's the, d- the delivery mechanism. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. it's a gateway drug, I guess. You can look at it one way. And, and for those who are down the same path on the PN. P samples. There's a sample from Bill Ayers, and it's one I contributed to about how to how to bootstrap a React function component from a SharePoint web part and get you started. So, uh, for folks who are struggling, there's the way to go. And obviously, go read Ken C. Dodds. We are. I am in the middle of like refreshing, not a hundred percent of it, but the stuff that needs to be refreshed in my course, my SharePoint framework course, and um, that React chapter is going to get a a full treatment. Like I'm going to, I'm going to focus, switch everything over to using uh, hooks and have the testing stuff all, all reflect uh, how to test your react components with hooks and everything. Sorry, how to test your react apps that are using hooks, how to go through and to test those using um, Jest and Amazon and all that. Great. I can't wait to get to that. Of course, I'm, I, nowadays I'll tell other people to go do it for me, but it uh, sounds good. Well, there you go. There you go. that works. Well, thanks for taking time. It's great to, to hear your voice. It's been a month or so since I've heard it, since uh, you've retired. <laughs> I did hear you say you're doing college trips with your kid. That's a sure sign that you're nearing retirement age right there. So Man, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. Really appreciate right. it. And we'll uh, certainly have to reach out again to, to get your thoughts on, on what's going on. It's uh, wonderful stuff. So thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, it's good to catch up, I see. Thanks, buddy. For listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. 
to help us spread the word. We'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 